Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think that they will receive anything from the Lord for they are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. The one in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in their low position because they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants, and its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even though he goes about his business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire and dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear friends. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the first fruit of all that he created. Lord Jesus, let's just open our hands. We open our hands and our hearts today to receive your word of life, even as you have spoken to us, Lord, through testimony and song. Now, through your word, Lord, penetrate even to the dividing of soul and marrow and transform us by the power of your goodness and grace today as we share and receive together in your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that has already been spoken, Lord, and we receive now your word, your word of life. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a brand new study that is connected into this year, 2014, which is a year of growing maturity here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. Our key scripture for this year is taken out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where it says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Say with me, continue. Continue. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So, there are three particular ingredients to this year's theme that we've been focusing on that of receiving Christ. Our faith is centered in this core confession of the gospel. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it again. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. One more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. It was beautiful when I shared this theme message in January. Our seven congregations were together and we made this declaration in all of the different languages of all of our different congregations. And whatever language it's in, the reality is this. This is our core confession. This is what unites us. Whatever our background, our education, our ethnic, our experiences, whatever it is, our faith is centered in this reality of receiving Christ as Lord. It doesn't end there, though. We are called to remain in Christ. As it said in Colossians 2 there, continue. Our life in Christ continues to grow up as we are filled up with him. I so appreciated our brother's testimony when he talked about filling his life with all of these other things and finding that ultimately there was nothing of value that sustained him in that. And he came to the place and now he is filling his life with the goodness of God. That's what remaining in Christ is. It's being filled up with him. We must be emptied of ourselves. I will never forget uh, a woman who passed away many, many years ago here at Bethel. I remember visiting her in the hospital, and she was from another country, and uh, we were sharing at her bedside, and she was saying to me, you know, as I've I've, I've come here to America, um, one thing I've discovered, and I don't even think she knew the English idiom that she was using because it wasn't her first language, but she said, we here in America are too full of ourselves. We need to empty of ourselves to be filled with him and remain in him. And then it doesn't end there because just as we saw at the choir this morning, it's not only just receiving Christ and remaining in him, but then it's also revealing Christ to the world around us because our lives are going to radiate out his life and joy as we overflow with the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope. As I just mentioned, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series in the front of your bulletin, and you can see up here, it's a sermon series that we're going to be looking at the letter of James. We've entitled this series of messages that is going to take us up until Advent, Practical Wisdom from James. As it says in James So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. The servant of God, James. So if you have your Bible, please take it out. If you don't have a Bible, grab one that's located right in front of you. And I'm going to invite you to turn. You already have it in March. To page 854. Page 854 of the Bible located right in front of you, or it's immediately following Hebrews. It's getting right towards the back of the New Testament for the book of James, the letter of James. Just to get you oriented, just for a brief moment, around this incredible book. This incredible letter. James 1.1, he introduces his book, his letter, by saying, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations 
greetings. Now, the writer that we have here is James, the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the Jerusalem church. James was one of those who was a half-brother of Jesus, born after Jesus, of course, Jesus being the firstborn child of Mary, born of the Spirit, fully God, fully man. But James is one of his half-brothers, and he's referred to in several different occasions throughout the Gospels and, of course, later on in the New Testament letters. He becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church after Peter is imprisoned in Acts 12, and he is the one who convenes the Jerusalem council in, and kind of facilitates that council as we see in Acts chapter 15. So James has a lot of um, credibility in the church, and he's got a lot of things that he could sort of brag on himself But what does he say about himself? He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes from that pastoral posture of servanthood. Learned from his older brother. Now, James was maybe a late bloomer in that, you know, while Jesus was alive, he was one of those who actually rejected Jesus. So some of you think, I mean, This was like Jesus' brother. Some of you got family who rejected you. Jesus' brothers, sisters had rejected him, but it was a transformation that took place. The end of the story hasn't been written in your life yet. The date is unclear. We know that James was martyred in 62 AD. Some folks place the dating of James's letter a little bit later, like in the early 60s, just before his martyrdom. Many actually place it early, as early as 49 AD, which would make it the earliest of the 27 books in the New Testament. We don't know for sure. It would all be speculation. But we do know this, that he is writing to... Jewish Christians who've been scattered after Stephen's death, as it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In Acts chapter 8, you remember Stephen, and and they come against Stephen. He is martyred, and the church in Jerusalem is persecuted, and all of the, many, many of those believers are then scattered out. And James, Paul is sort of the apostle to the Gentiles. James here and Peter both serve as continued apostolic ministry to those who are Jewish believers and Jewish Christians who have been scattered all over. And the theme here is faith that works. See, the Bible, if you were to simply kind of boil it down to two main themes, it has to do with, first of all, the way to God, and secondly, our walk with God. So when you're reading the scriptures You can always be looking for the patterns of those two themes to be running throughout. How can I come to God, and then how can I walk with God? And the primary focus of James is not so much about how to, um, the, the way to God, though it's implicit, of course, throughout, but he really begins to focus here on our walk with God, which is where we want to kind of close out this year of growing maturity because it's a very practical, 
It's, it's sometimes described as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, somebody's described it as pearls that are on a string, pearls of wisdom on a string. And so we're going to unpack and look at those beautiful pearls over the next two to three months to discover what God wants to speak into us here as a life together Bethel Christian Fellowship. All right. This morning I've entitled our message, Obstacles and Opportunities. And I think this is a message that will be relatable to every single person sitting in this room and everybody who ends up hearing this message on the website or CD or whatever. All of us face obstacles. But embedded in those obstacles, sometimes very cleverly concealed, within those obstacles are opportunities. And so this morning, for our moments that we have together, I want to look at two obstacles and the opportunities that are revealed through those obstacles. And I think, again, all of us can hear something today to encourage our hearts. Obstacle one is trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Say perseverance. Perseverance. Now, what a way to begin a letter. Now, how would you like to put that on the marquee out in front of the church? Consider it joy when you're going through trials. By Pastor Wacko. All right, yes. What on earth are you talking about? Consider it joy. Count it all joy. What I don't think James is saying is count it all joy necessarily for the trials. Or even because of the trials, but in the midst of trial, he does give us a glimpse that there is something beyond that trial that is worth Digging deep into to receive joy about. That is something that is true in the midst of your trials. Now, trials come in all kinds of ways. There's the obvious of external trials. There are those external troubles of physical troubles, uh, your job, school, finances, relationships, persecution. We have numbers of folks in this room, obviously, who have, who have gone through significant external trials in all of these areas. We have people who have come out of war-torn countries uh, who have faced intense persecution. We have people who here who, who deal with significant physical issues. Uh, many of you are dealing with issues around jobs and school and finances, uh, husband and wife relationships, parent and child relationships, brother and sister relationships, workplace relationships, all kinds of different relationships. There's all kinds of external troubles that come into our lives. You don't even have to look hard to find them. They will find you. They will find you. And then there's internal pressures. There's stress, fear, anxiety, loneliness, uncertainty. Waiting. There are those things that are common to all of us that we experience in our lives. 
He said, suffering can be defined as having what you don't want and not having what you do want. And then there's things that we all want that we don't have. Those are those pressures, those internal pressures, the suffering that happens. And often those, you know, you can't even pull the external and the internal apart. I'm just doing that for the sake of this conversation. So what, pastor, is the opportunity in the midst of trials like that? Well, the opportunity, the invitation is to perseverance. As it says here, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Next month, the Twin Cities Marathon will be going by right a block from here on Summit Avenue. Well, there are, of course, marathons around the country, and the New York Marathon is considered the ultimate race with runners coming from all over the world to compete in it. While much prestige is given to the winner of the race, much respect is given to those who simply qualify to participate and then actually finish the race. The course covers the distance of 26 miles, and the record finish is 2 hours and 17 minutes. I might be able to do that on my bike. Okay. Maybe. If Arthur's with me. All right. Well, in 1986, Bob Wieland entered the New York City Marathon along with 50,000 other runners. He and 19,800 of the other runners finished. The average runner finished in approximately four hours. Bob Wieland finished in four days, 17 hours, and seven minutes. Why? What took him so long? Bob Whelan has no legs, and he ran the race by sitting on the ground and swinging his arms forward. Four days, 17 hours, and seven minutes. Yeah, yay, Bob. <laughs> exactly. This life we live, it's a marathon. This is not a sprint. And some days it's just one hand step at a time. Putting one hand and one foot in front of the other. Persevering. See, there's two purposes of testing. One is the process of testing which matures us, which develops us, which grows us. The second is the product of that, which is completion, where it, you know, it says so that it might finish its work. Go back to the text for a moment. So that it would finish by being mature and complete, not lacking anything. It means that there's an integration in our soul and our spirit and our mind. There's an integration in our life that comes together where we begin to fulfill the calling and destiny that God has on us. But we must go through the process to get to the product. 
I always say that there's a couple of things that you can't get at the altar. The altar is one of the most powerful things in the world where God interrupts your life and begins that transformation process within you. But it isn't the finish line, it's the beginning line. Because you can't get at the altar experience and maturity. That comes from walking it out day after day. And you can't interrupt that process. It has to complete its work in you. There was a man who was, who had been injured and he was, he, he was laid up in his bed. And as he was laying there, it was a beautiful day like today, and, and he was watching and there was this cocoon from a caterpillar right outside of his window. And he could see the cocoon and he could see the the, the, what do they call that, the pupa or whatever it is, the thing inside, the caterpillar inside, was, was what's that? The chrysalis, thank you, I knew somebody would know. All right, the chrysalis, and, he's, and, 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 and it's working, and he could see it moving, and, and he could see that um, caterpillar desperately trying to get out of its cocoon. And he watched it for several hours, and it seemed like it was making no progress. And finally, out of compassion, he felt like, I've got to do something. And he, he reached over, and he, and he went and, and reached through the window, and he took his scissors, and he just clipped the opening just a little bit wider so that that caterpillar could come out. And sure enough, the caterpillar crawled out. But it didn't fly. And never could. Because actually in the process of pushing out of the cocoon that all of the beautiful color and all of the strength would come into its wings in order for it to be able to fulfill its destiny as a beautiful butterfly. And sometimes we try to interrupt the process. For other people around us, anybody ever had the scissors out? Come on, be honest. You've tried to interrupt that process. I'm just going to help them with just a little bit here. Or you've begged for somebody to bring that scissors to you. Get me out of this cocoon. But I'm here to tell you today that it is the very process of that testing, it is the process of you pressing and pushing against that cocoon and the Lord working within you that will bring that completion that you're longing for. I've said it before, I'll just quickly say it again here. We misunderstand sometimes the anointing of God. We think it's magic pixie dust that he just waves over us and everything gets better when the anointing of God comes on us. It literally means the oil of fatness. And what it means in the oil of anointing is that actually it's a picture of an ox whose neck is growing too big to allow any longer the old yokes to fit. God wants to grow you from the inside out so that no longer will those old yokes fit on you anymore. That's the anointing of God. All right. And we must boast in the hope of the glory of God. Here's Paul. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Love that. All right. Obstacle two. We're almost done. Temptation. Anybody ever face temptation? Anybody not ever face temptation? Keep those hands up so that you can pray for us. All right, good. Okay. All right. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You all know this, right? You've lived this. We heard testimonies about this. You know about this. We all know about this. Let's be honest. Three facts about temptation. First of all, temptation is always present in life. Oh, no! Temptation! God must not love me. There's temptation around me. Oh, no! I'm so unusual. It's so different than everybody else. Nobody else is tempted. Just me. I know. Temptation. That was kind of an Andrew Gross moment there. Sorry. Yeah. So. <laughs> You got to get to know Andrew. He's, he's much better with voices than I am. All right, so. But temptation is always present in life. It's part of living in this world. With our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the enemy, the devil, temptation is always present. But temptation is never prompted by God. God never tempts us. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie of the enemy. God never tempts us. Mm -mm. So, temptation follows a consistent pattern. We saw it here. First of all, there's the bait. First John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. But everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Money, sex, and power. The ancient fathers down through the ages and the, the, the precious mothers of the faith that precede us, they have all taught us that same thing. Money, sex, and power, those are our greatest temptations. That's the bait that the enemy puts out there. Look at Jesus being tempted by the enemy when he was in the wilderness. It's always money, sex, power. It's always these three things, Right? Then comes the desire. Remember David with Bathsheba? He looked at her, saw her on the balcony. He was supposed to be out to war, but he was hanging back, chilling, sees her, desires. Bait's always out there, and then the desire comes. It's not the first second that's the issue, it's the second second. You can't control whether there's bait there or not, usually. Okay, sometimes, sometimes you all put in the bait in front of yourself. Okay, I can, I'm okay. I can walk into this bar, no problem. Yeah, right. All right. Then comes the desire. Oh, man, I want that. I got to have it. I got to have it. Then comes the allurement. Love that word. The man said, the woman put, you, you, 
guys, here we are. This is our life. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It was her fault. And the blame game begins. You know the blame game. One finger going out, three fingers coming right back. (laughs) And of course, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We're always looking for somebody to blame. But the allurement, think of that word. What's, what's right in the middle of that word, allurement? Lure. Fisherman. It's a lure. To pull that fish out. The, that, that's what desire does. It begins, it's like a lure. And it's flashy. And it looks really good. And it's death. And when it does, before we get to this, when we do that, when we are in that allurement, the issue becomes sin, it it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. That's the, for us, sometimes it's an unintended consequence, but it's a consequence. There's a consequence to taking that bait feeding your desire, getting lured in. But there's an opportunity here this morning, and I want to close with this. The opportunity is victory. Listen carefully. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. I've never put this together until I was putting together this message today. I don't know how many times I've read this, but I've never saw the temptation passage that we just read connected with this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us to give birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Here's the two keys to overcoming temptation. First of all, listen carefully. Number one is this. Failure is not inevitable. Sometimes it feels like it, but it's not Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Failure is not inevitable. There is a choice. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's a way out. It's not inevitable. And here's the piece that I've never connected before in my heart or certainly in preaching before is this. Focus on God's goodness. We need to shift our focus. Why does James go from temptation to saying here, every good and perfect gift is from above? Because he wants to remind us as Peter does in 2 Peter 1, that his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by what? His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So when the enemy comes with the bait of money... 
You remember God's goodness and be content with what he has given to you. When the enemy comes and, and puts the bait of sexual indiscretion before you, you remind yourself of the goodness of God in what he has given you and who you are, and you stand and wait in fidelity with him. When power is placed before you, you remember Jesus taking off his robe of authority and tying a towel around his waist and serving, and you remember that the greatest power is in service. These are the good gifts from God. So it's not simply because if you think, well, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to look at that, what I shouldn't be looking at, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to seek after that, but I'm not going to, not going to, not going to. The more you're saying, I'm not going to do that, the more you're focusing on that, and the more it's drawing your attention. Shift your attention to the goodness of God. Shift your attention. And remember that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And let him fill you with that. All right, so we're closing with this last scripture from 1 Peter 1. Stand up to your feet. I love this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven jet genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hallelujah! It ain't over yet, people. The marathon's still going and Bob's still running on his hands and you're going to run too. Because we're going to believe God for his victory. So would you just lift up your hands for a moment. Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, every single one of us in this room have faced trials and temptations. Those are the obstacles that are common to us as mankind. But God, you've given us an opportunity today to continue to persevere into victory in you. And so Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone here in the sound of my voice and, and, and going out in whatever way this will be. I pray for everyone that they will walk in the reality and the truth of that which they have heard today. And that, Lord, you would lead us into the place where you complete your work in us. And Jesus, we honor and glory you. We praise you, God, for the good gifts that you have given. Every good and perfect gift, we praise and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And now just open your hands. And now I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day 
with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy and goodness will chase you down every day of your life. For his glory and praise and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.